0: If Reality Check Radio enriches your day and life, support us to keep bringing you the content, voices, perspectives and dose of reality you won't get anywhere else. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate.
1: The New Zealand Television Awards were on last night and a certain documentary um, was in the, uh, the finals for a couple of categories and... A couple of uh, people from um, an organisation that featured quite prominently in that documentary join me now, and that's Claire Deeks and Alia Bland from Voices for Freedom. Good morning, both of you.
0: Good morning. Good morning, Paul. Thanks for having us.
1: You would have been glued to the the live feed of of the awards, right? (laughs)
2: That's a form of
1: torture. (laughs) Someone has to do it. Because I was expecting in this crazy world that they would probably win.
2: Yeah, um, well, they they have won previously in a different awards. I think it was the Voyager Media Awards earlier on in the year. So it was kind of expected that they might win this one too. And and they did win a couple of um, awards there that they've posted on their social media for the best editing and director, I think it was.
1: Oh, okay. All right. Toby
2: all right. Longbottom.
1: Okay, but not the main award.
2: But not the best documentary, no. They they missed out on that one.
1: It's because it wasn't.
0: <laughs> yeah. <But> the mere <laughs> fact that it was actually nominated, it's a sad indictment on New Zealand journalism.
1: Well, you mm. saw the meltdown from Andy Shaw of um, New Zealand On Air this week over the new coalition government. So that's kind of what we're dealing with. Okay, so um, I sort of ran it by me last night again, Fire and Fury. And I realize how prominently um particularly you, Claire, feature in in that documentary. So what do we have to say about that right now?
0: Yes, yeah. It's pretty hard to, to look at it again and to listen to some bits. I couldn't stomach it all. But I I did go back and look at some of what we'd prepared um in our uh, complaints to stuff and then what other people had put in and i thought one place to start here could be to look at some statements that Paula Penfold had made prior to the this um creating the so-called documentary uh, and i think it's highly relevant because one of the uh principles that need to be upheld and that they subscribe to is not to be biased for accuracy and uh, accuracy, fairness, and balance. So, this was just to, to set the scene of the person who was uh, the lead journalist uh, on this documentary, so-called documentary. So, I'll just read here from some statements she made and um, stuff on seventh of January, uh, prior, obviously, to the com- to the convoy and protest and what she subsequently created. I'm drawn to people, but this year I've been disgusted by the selfishness of some. I've began to see things that made me viscerally furious. I feel utter contempt to these people. In 2021, I became a misanthrope, And I like to look up the dictionary for this, because to be a misanthrope is to have a hatred or contempt or mistrustful scorn for humankind. But she actually goes on to qualify. It's not all humankind. It's a very targeted form of misanthropy, aimed only at those whose self-centeredness make them blind to the facts, Anti-faxters, as a friend so nicely put it. And so as this new year begins, and she was saying this in the beginning of 2022, I will imagine I will continue to direct my anger towards the misguided minority. So quite simply, as she explains in some detail, she's become a hater of those who were pro-medical freedom. She's actually disgusted by them. She talks about it making her stomach angry and um, that she's going to continue to direct her anger towards this minority group. So, you know, there's no clearer example of predetermined bias.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. That doesn't age well, does it? Okay, that's just the beginning. What else have we got?
2: Just going to read out what they have in terms of their own code of co- conduct here that for their um, under bias. Journalists should take care not to allow bias or perception of bias in their reporting and in public comments, including on social media. Journalists should guard against bias based on societal structures or their personal background. Journalists should not write opinion articles except in cases which have been reviewed by editors and are not considered to pose a conflict or perception of bias. It's
0: so it continues because those are all...
2: um parts
0: of what we put towards the formal complaint first with staff um and you know accuracy fairness balance they're they're the key um standards it's the number one principle for the media council uh so yeah we we had noted a few things i don't even want to just just briefly mention them
2: those examples of lack of accuracy
1: Mm. sure go
2: so part of our um a complaint that we made in the first instance to stuff, and then later on we had to complain to the Media Council, which is an, another story I'll get into in a minute, um, was this whole concept of no right of reply. Uh, so this, the the whole point of a right of reply is a fundamental tenet of journalism, and people are meant to be afforded the reasonable right of reply before publication. And of course, we weren't contact, contacted at all by the team that was making the programme, And so this is what they say in their own editorial code of practice and ethics. Any subject of a news story who is facing criticism or allegations must be afforded reasonable right of reply before publication. Journalists must make every reasonable effort to reach the subject of a story to extend them right of reply. This should not be construed as harassment. Reasonable right of reply means they must be given a fair summary of the allegations against them and adequate time to respond. The response time allowed will vary depending on the nature of the story and production requirements. So, as I said, we no one was approached for uh, right of reply, which we would have had a lot to say because they uh, were had terrible inaccuracies all the way through it. So there was actually, after... Um, this film came out, uh, Paula Penvold went into a little bit of, you know, damage control because this was a criticism that was being levelled at them throughout, you know, all over the internet. And so she went on a a podcast called Big Hairy News <laughs> um, where she tried to defend this, um, the choice to not give us a right of reply. So perhaps we can have a listen to that.
1: Yeah, interesting. So you followed kind of,
0: journalistic principles and it's kind of literally what you're saying and, and good advice from the experts sort of contrary to everything people are being accused of, you sort of did the journalistic thing.
3: Well yes but but the, and I can see why people have accused, that. the main screaming allegation thrown at us repeatedly is you didn't give them the right of reply mm. and you know ordinarily that's a really really fair allegation, accusation to make because we didn't we didn't give them the right of reply intentionally. And we've written about this and we've written at length about our rationale for that. But if I can briefly summarize it. Sure. Um, there's a lot, you know, there are uh, we're a number of reasons. Uh, first of which, the documentary includes their own words. Like, do they want to reply to their own words? Because that's what's in there. These are their own words. They're in there. The same thing is, They've had, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of hours of video and webinars and email. Their content is out there and it has been unchallenged largely. I mean, there's been incredible work done by many New Zealand journalists in this field, but we wanted to bring it to light in a different way, which was video. Mm -hmm. Um, So many hundreds and thousands of hours of their material. And so our rationale was that we wanted to bring the right of reply to what they'd already published. And the third thing, which is direct advice from that guidance that I've been talking about, is when you're reporting dangerous speech and let's not mince words, this is dangerous speech that we were reporting, don't give the people who are making the dangerous speech a platform to repeat their dangerous speech, right? A platform equal to the danger that they've already disseminated. So we had a really strict and thorough and rigorous editorial process and conversations around this because i've never done this before and you know a very long time as a journalist i've never elected to not give a right of reply Mm. we knew we'd be criticized and of course we have been roundly condemned for this by the people who we've criticized and their followers Uh, but i Stand by that editorial decision for the reasons that I've just said out.
1: Okay, obviously it's the the hosts who are the the, the hairy part. Of yeah, it. big hairy music and yeah, one yeah, chewy.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> All right, so that okay. Yeah. So we just heard that. All right
0: yes and I think you know one of the things there you'll have heard that they, they sort of said we do the journalistic thing is how they refer sort of uh, rather sort of almost like it's an old quaint old-fashioned quaint it, thing it's, a, do, thing. it's, it's a, a thing it's a thing to do the writer we reply. do um, maybe but one of these things that's just to to highlight is that they talk Paula talks there about um that they did give us this this right and, and th- to share in our own words. And as we'll just explain shortly, it wasn't our own words. It's not our own words. If you change everything there is to, about it and also cut it and put it out of context and not f- put even full sentences in. The other thing is that there's this assertion that there were hundreds of thousands of hours. So this was just a, a short documentary in reply when um, there was about 20 or 30 seconds of our webinars actually shown in this. Also, I checked the records. Um, stuff claims 3.4 million Kiwis a month. Read their materials and that it's New Zealand's number one website. We're talking about, in respect of one of these allegations, which this is the ungovernable word that they say is the key reason they created the entire documentary. That was the catalyst. That really? One- mm.
1: I hadn't heard that. That's, uh, wow. Okay. That's what
0: they. That's what they say, and we said that a grand total of three times in public on three webinars with less than a thousand people. In fact, one of them was about five hundred people at the time of the documentary being made had viewed those. So the imbalance is incredible because not only should we be afforded a right of reply, but there's no logic. And indeed, I see that this guy, Greg Treadwell, do you know where he was from? Ali, I think he was an academic. He was one of the university lecturers, I believe. Yes, and and he said remember. he as as he you know it was correct in assuming there would be complaints. He said complainants are likely to ask the council to rule a piece of journalism cannot be accurate, fair, and balanced if it silences those who are the subject of its allegations. And then he says such a finding, despite any immediate logic to it, would be simply unthinkable. And he goes on to repeat the patter about it's just not appropriate when we're spreading such you know dangerous words. Um. That and and you know we cannot simply afford them to mention them again. And, and he's teaching that. people. Yes, he's teaching the next right, generation of journalists. Mm. Isn't so that exciting? I, I think that was one of the key things. And then, kind of related to that, is that uh, you know they they make how ultimately in the media council decision, which found completely in favour of staff, and and not even a slap on the wrist about the right of reply. Uh, was this um, paragraph there where they absolutely um, make it clear that they have taken into account the fact that Voices for Freedom didn't file a formal complaint um, with the Media Council and that's taken to be, well, there was no point to give them a right of reply because they obviously don't care enough to have made a complaint. But that's very um, disingenuous because we had, they know for well, we had made a complaint to staff and we did actually complain to the Media Council and they had initially taken that in and, and accepted that complaint, but then after they came back and said, uh-oh, wait a minute, we haven't got your full waiver, which is the ultimate reason we didn't file the complaint, because we do want to reserve our rights for a defamation action. Um, so should I read, read
2: that, to- clear? Yeah, because yeah, that. That, that's quite important, this, this whole yeah. concept of a waiver. If you want to submit a, any kind of complaint to the Media Council, you have to sign your life away, basically. So this is what it says. In submitting this complaint for consideration to the Media Council, I agree to waive any right I may have or any entity I control may have to take or continue other proceedings in any way related to the complaint against the publisher, broadcaster, journalist in any other jurisdiction or forum. I or we also waive any right or I or we may have to take uh, Uh, We may have to take proceedings against the Media Council in any jurisdiction or forum. So what they're saying is, if you do this, you can't take anyone to court for defamation um, that's involved in any part along the process. And we did actually clarify this before we put in a complaint because I was so shocked when I saw it. I thought, are you kidding me? Like, you should be able to put a complaint in without having to sign away your rights to take further legal action if you choose. And, you know, because given, you know, the environment that we're in, it was pretty clear that no matter how valid your complaint was, it was going to be um, thrown out. I had to get it across the line. Yes, Which means
1: I, if you'd signed that waiver, if it was thrown out, that, that, would, that would have been it?
0: Yes, that, that's right. And, you know, we see them all kind of crowing around and showing off their awards. But um, I think they they were clearly worried, and perhaps they think that we've forgotten about this. But we we haven't forgotten. we have simply been very busy, and we do retain a right to take legal action. And we are aware that that is something that um, you know very well might be done, and not just by us and by others too. Um, you know, one thing I just will quickly say is there's Ursula Chair Professor at University Canterbury's Faculty of Law. Said um, when comment asked to comment about the media council um, on their 50th anniversary and just. Talking generally, she said there will always be a level of cynicism and s- about self-regulation, which is entirely understandable. She said the system could be improved by upholding more complaints and by adopting more serious sanctions, but she says that will be risky because the council relies on voluntary membership, and you know that goes on to say that the media, which did not like such changes, could simply abandon membership and cease being subject. So the council is in a bit of a bind here, is what she says. So. You Know it, it's a toothless tiger or it's the
1: waiver, basically. Uh, uh, yeah. yes. <laughs> yes,
0: um, it, it's it's like we were talking, it's the fox guarding the hen house, it, it's a crazy system, and then they crow about it and republish it every which way in the very publication that initially was responsible
2: for it. It's it's a crazy circle, so um, yeah, and I think this- probably we should add in here if we can, if we go back to the um premise of the whole thing, which was based on this whole ungovernable claim. They took the claim of us saying that we they said that we wanted to make the country ungovernable. Um and <laughs> and snipped off the end of the quote from some of the web the, one of the webinars that we had done so that they removed the context of the quote to make it sound scary and all, you know, dark and um that we had were wanting to, you know, create some kind of disharmony in the country that's not the case at all Um, we were wanting people to become uh, more self-sustaining so that they could never have their life dangled over them um, in order to take a an experimental medical product in the future and so uh, perhaps we can play the little snip from actually from fire and fury that leads that in and then we can follow that with what was actually said on the um, on the webinar that they have edited down so cleverly and that's why they have a um, an editing uh, award from last night. They were very good at editing, um, it would seem, uh, to remove that context, which I think if that had been left in there, then all of the media circus that followed this film where it became Chinese whispers and every time that somebody knew Uh, reported on that story it became bigger and and more kind of scary monster Um, that that's where it came from and so they're responsible for a lot
1: okay well let's hear that first so here, here here is that clip
3: voices for freedom now has three times the followers on telegram than it ever had on facebook and over 100,000 members, issuing them a rallying call that sounds like a direct threat to democracy. Make the country ungovernable. New
0: Zealand To strengthen resilience, to start really looking at what it takes to become ungovernable. And that way is that when the government says jump, we don't need to. All
1: right, so that's how they played it on, on their show. So what was the real piece in context?
2: Yeah, well, that's here. This is in a a webinar with Claire and I think was this one with Dr Guy Hatchard, actually. It was just a a Hatchard report that we were doing on Voices for Freedom webinar. And um, this was just at the beginning of, I think, of of that um, webinar.
0: But we're really proud of what we've created. Mostly proud of the network of local groups and people and communities all around New Zealand. And that's the main focus now of what we're doing. We're looking at Rebuild Free. It's our initiative to really help local groups, individuals and communities all around New Zealand to strengthen resilience, to start really looking at what it takes to become ungovernable. And that way is that when the government says jump, we don't need to because we are resilient. We have put in place things. Start off with planting a garden, um, learn more about your finances and we will do our best to bring more help to you on these webinars, on our website and in live events and so forth.
1: Okay, so a world of difference, a world of difference between the two. Um, I mean, one, they knew one. that they were doing that, by the way. I've worked with lots of video editors and journalists. Yeah, they knew.
2: Of course, they knew. They they said in other interviews that they had watched thousands of hours of of recordings, and it's like, well, okay, how did you miss that then? If you snipped it off, it was yeah, it was the, You can never say that they didn't know because it's
0: mid sentence, um, and the next very thing, instead of saying, you know, gather your arms together, is plant a garden. It, it couldn't be more <laughs> clear. And the whole thing is without you know going belabouring the point, but we. Uh, we realised because we needed to explain the word each time, and which we did every time. The three, the three times, uh, we we never used it again, and just because it was cl- not you know, a clumsy kind of term. Well, just not ideal. It wasn't it yeah. Needed, yeah. accurate. It needed yeah. the clarification, which it always had, though. So anybody saying that had to avoid words right there, talking about preparing, as you would have heard in the clip. Um, and they did the same thing with this other one:
2: flood the zone. Um, they-, they desperately wanted to... Uh, that,
1: that's a Bannon us. phrase, isn't it?
2: Well, that's what they were saying, yeah. And, you know, we were so far not right um, that none of us even knew who he was, really. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> and But we had seen it. And this event two oh one, which was this pandemic tabletop planning exercise that occurred in October of twenty nineteen, just you know a couple of months before the pandemic pandem- pandemic broke out, and the people in there within this training exercise had used the term flood the zone because that's what they were wanting to do with information um, in the media to. Uh, Educate in inverted commas the the yep. masses um, to get them to comply with whatever their directives were. So they'd used this term flood the zone. W- when we used it, it was a we were thumbing our nose to them because we well, thought it was ridiculous. It was tongue, in, tongue in cheek. Right. Uh, that's yeah. how we were using it. Yeah. And um, the thing about all this
0: is, uh, Paula Penfold in particular knows full well um, the full context. And Alia that was in a Otago University. And- That's
2: right. Yeah, so she, that we made, you know, some pretty big uh, <laughs> complaint documents that went through, and, and even though our one wasn't the one that went to the Media Council, or in the long run, we did help with others. So she, I went earlier this year in February, I went to an, um, a day course at Otago University uh, called Countering Disinformation in Public Health. It was like a, you know, it was a full day course that I had to be in a room with all of these people, Micah Baker, Kate Hanna, Paula Penfold all day and nobody figured out that I was there Um, but within that time um, she admitted that she had personally spent all of this time working on a response to the complaints and, and she made a point of saying that to the audience that was there and then she went on after that to repeat the same lies that that we had this whole ungovernable thing and this whole flood the zone thing, so despite she'd seen our responses to them, she saw the the um the clips of the audio or the the videos where that where we had drawn those you know we were taken things from, and she still continues to parrot the nonsense that that we were to do with bannon and that we wanted to make the country ungovernable. it's it is quite sickening
0: and um I know that we don't have too much time left, but it's just one of the things to say is there was an acknowledgement by Paula again in in the podcast that there is a whole story to be told about the vaccine injury, which was all wrapped up in the whole premise of the protest and the mandates, but sort of skipped over to make it sound like the only objective was some kind of violent uprising. And so if you do have time, we might hear that. Uh, But I think it just really uh, epitomises all that is wrong with journalism these days.
1: So here, here, here is that clip right now.
3: The story is not the story that she would have wanted to be told um, because the story that she wanted to be told and that and that Valerie wanted to be told was the story of vaccine injuries or mm-hmm. um, doctors being silenced or scientists being shut down. That's the story that they wanted to be told. Um, but I can't tell that story. I mean, You know, there is a story to be told at some point in the future about our pandemic response and what we got wrong and what we got right, because we have got things wrong. There's a story to be told, but the story to be told now is not that story because we don't have the answers yet We will in time, but we don't have them yet. And the story to be told right now is how dangerous their incitement over their concerns has become. She, She
0: even acknowledges that and yet made her own decisions as to what was newsworthy or what should be shown to the public at what time.
1: The question is, though, is that what she and her team believes or is it follow the money?
2: I would say, from being in that room um at that day course, that it's it's more than money. I would think that it's got a lot to do with the adoration of their peers. They okay. are almost um goddess-like, <laughs> you know yeah. they're worshipped, and you could see that in the room. they they can do no wrong. these right. these people. Having said that, as well, um,
0: we know there's hundreds of thousands of dollars have gone to stuff and stuff circuit in particular, and I think it was over three hundred thousand was of of taxpayer money into this funding. This um, well, that was a
1: bad deal. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I guess they had to pay for the royalty use of all the horror music and effects.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Do we have anything more to say about that?
2: Well, just that you know these guys they're they're making their own bed, right? you know that they're, they're they're so untrustworthy that it's not it's no wonder the public are turning away from mainstream media if this
1: is the way that they behave. Clear any last words? Last words. Any last words?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I I just I find it just unbelievable that fellow New Zealanders will act like this to to others. I saw, you know, it's at the bottom of all the stuff, um, all their articles. They say it's for the community. They're there. They're with you. Um, you can rely on them for accuracy, fairness, balance. And, you know, you absolutely cannot. And it's just a disgrace, the state of journalism these days. So yeah, that's all that I'd like to say. Thanks, Paul. Thank you for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to or dislike what you're listening to, either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057, that's 2057, or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so connect with us
3: today.